Well, if we haven't met, I'm Rebecca. It's been a, a few weeks since I've hung out with you and taught and whatever. Um, but this week, I don't know how you've experienced the week, but uh, for me and for a lot of the people I've talked to, there's been a lot of heaviness around what's going on in the world and how do we kind of make spiritual sense out of what's going on. And so as a church, you, you have a few options when there's stuff like that happening. You can just like pretend everything's fine and keep talking about like faith and hope and happiness or we can be honest about the things that are happening in the world and things that are happening in our souls and we can try to make spiritual sense out of what God is still doing in the middle of all this suffering and so actually we had this message planned for this week no matter what and so it's just very fitting that here comes a conversation about lament in the middle of uh, war and fear and all of these things that we see on the news and in the hearts of the people that we talk to. So this week I've had a few people texting me asking kind of the same question. As Christians, how do we make spiritual sense of suffering and of what's going on in the world? How are we supposed to understand what's going on? How are we supposed to kind of position ourselves. What is the, what is the posture of our hearts um, in the middle of all of this? And part of the reason why it is so challenging for us, particularly as American Christians, to make sense of suffering is because we haven't experienced suffering in this country like a lot of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. I mean, you know, if you grew up in Europe, your grandparents might have known someone who was in a concentration camp, right? Your grandparents might have had their village leveled in England during World War II. You know, if you live in India, you will pass dying people on the street. If you live in parts of the world with political instability, you have met people who have experienced war in ways that we haven't experienced it. We've been blessed with peace. We've been blessed with not the level of natural disasters that some parts of the world have. You know, we, we haven't lost thousands in earthquakes in, in super recent memory. It, it's just the reality of, of the blessing that we have experienced that we don't encounter suffering in the same way. And so um, the problem is, is that we tend then to not know what to do with suffering when we encounter it. Because as humans, you're going to encounter personal suffering all the time, but we don't have the same framework. One of my friends who's German and who's we've talked extensively about her experiences feeling a sense of cultural shame about being German she said she can always tell an American because we have what she calls the Colgate smile. She's like, we're in Germany. Everybody's just going about their day like this. But if you see an American, hi, hi, how are you? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? We're not happier than the next guy, but we're culturally conditioned that smiling is how we show that we're fine. And we very much prize being fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. You good? Like some people just say, are you good? And you're like, yeah, I guess I am. I, yeah, I'm good. Right? It's, there's not, how are you? 
right? No one's considering that someone's going to share how they really are. It's, please tell me you're fine so I don't have to encounter anything uncomfortable in this conversation, right? You're going to keep me comfortable, right? You're not going to make me, like, talk about anything awkward. And so because of this, we have to dig a little bit deeper into how do we experience suffering without internalizing it as shame. Because if I'm not fine, maybe there's something wrong with me. If I'm not fine, maybe I'm not grateful for the things I do have. If I'm not fine, if I'm not holding it together really well, then maybe I don't have enough faith to be joyful in the middle of hard things. But the truth is, is the Bible has plenty to say about suffering. And none of it requires us to just be fine. So let's pray, and then we're going to go into lament. David, can you turn on that back uh, projector for me? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you with honest hearts. Honest about our own suffering. Honest about the suffering around the world. And we desire God to make spiritual sense out of how to suffer well. We ask you to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today we're talking about lament. Lament in the Bible is the liturgical response, which is like the churchy spiritual response, to making, uh, to the reality of suffering, which engages God in the context of pain and trouble. Lament engages God in the context of pain and trouble. So as we're uh, talking about this, I'm going to be borrowing from two theologians in particular, uh, Dr. Soong Chan Ra, who wrote Prophetic Lament, and Dr. Scott Cormode, who wrote The Innovative Church. Both we have copies of in the book center. But particularly, Prophetic Lament is amazing, and I highly recommend it. So you can take a picture or just kind of keep it in mind if you want to go deeper in what we're talking about. You know, we engage lament as a way of making sense of suffering. And it's interesting because two-thirds of the Psalms are actually laments. We think about the Psalms as the celebrations, right? Like, God, you set my feet on the rock. God, I will not be moved. God, you've done this good stuff. But actually, two-thirds of the Psalms are David complaining about how hard life is. Like, God, I am being pursued. My heart is like water. This is the worst. You've definitely left me this time. What is wrong with this world? Two-thirds of the Psalms. There's an entire book called Lamentations where Jeremiah is like, this is the worst. And so when we are praying honestly about our suffering, when we're bringing our complaints and our pain to God, we're praying as he shows us to pray in his word. He isn't asking us to be triumphant triumphant all the time and celebrate all the time. So there's five key parts of lament, and they are this. One is turning toward God, and we'll see all of these when you look in the Psalms later and, uh, and when you're doing your personal reading, all of these parts are in there in each of the laments. They might be in different order. Some of them kind of smush a couple chapters together, but they all have five key things. One is turning toward God. The next is complaint. 
statement of trust, asking for help, and praising. So we're going to kind of quickly go through each of these. I actually had Amy make a handout in your bulletin. They have all of these listed. So you can um, kind of take that with you or kind of uh, have that in your hand as we're talking today. So the first is we turn toward God. You know, our natural instinct in pain is to turn inward, isn't it? Like when we get hurt, we tend to be like, I'm going to step away from the people who hurt me. I'm going to step away from the things that cause us pain, right? You touch a hot stove and your hand goes back. You are in a conversation with someone and they say something hurtful and you back up. And the problem is, is that that creates space. Now, for a hot stove, that's wise, but in relationships, it's dangerous, right? I mean, have you ever been tempted when you have a really good friend and they accidentally hurt you to just kind of be like, hey, man, I'm out. You don't necessarily want to be vulnerable enough to do the emotional repair work necessary to get back to a good place. But it is in that emotional closeness, getting vulnerable and saying, hey, that was hurtful, that our relationships deepen. And that's the same for, like, marriage, right? Like, hey, when your spouse hurts you, is really tempted to just be like, well, he's a whatever. She doesn't understand. She never listens anyway. Why do I even bother? But it's in being vulnerable enough to come close that healing happens. And it's the same with God. You know, the whole world belongs to God, and so when we are hurt in this world, our temptation can be to pull back from God. Well, God, you clearly don't understand what this did to me when this happened, right? Or we've done something wrong. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. We want to hide. We pull away. But lament requires us to turn toward God. It's a vulnerable act that deepens our relationship with God. God, this is painful but I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to keep this within our relationship. Complaint is the next. You know, complaint, complaint is, uh, is the most important, one of the most important parts of lament, but it feels the messiest. If you look through the Psalms, it, again and again, David's ranting messy. He's not being cute about it. Like, you know, God, I don't understand why this is happening. For us, you know, God, I, I don't understand why I work my butt off and my finances don't make sense. God, do you even see me down here trying to deal with this stuff? God, how is it that again and again, you know, Israel is under attack. Israel is in danger. God, how do I make sense of the fact that I am feeling deep compassion for innocent people on both sides. God, how do I make spiritual sense of all of these horrible things? God, how is it that you are so loving and this stuff still happens over and over and over? And part of lament is complaining honestly. Psalm 139, I'm going to read it to you because it's one of those chapters that we love in the Bible because there's like so much beauty in it. But then like halfway through, David gets messy, but we tend to gloss it over, but it's important. Psalm 39 is this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. So much beautiful stuff. It keeps going and it keeps going. And then verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. So here we are, minding our business. This is so pretty. He knows when we rise. He knows when we lay down. He doesn't leave us. This is very beautiful. Kill my enemies, oh God. What? David, dang. What? Oh. But then, okay. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion? I have nothing but hatred against them. I count them as my enemies. David, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. There's an offensive way in you, David. You just told God to kill everybody and lead me in the way everlasting. What is so important here is that David is being honest with God because he knows that God already knows how he feels anyways. We tend not to complain to God, but we sure keep those complaints in our heart anyway, right? Like, God knows that we're angry, that we don't feel provided for financially sometimes. God knows that we're angry, that we feel helpless to take care of the people in our lives who are suffering. He knows. He knows. He knows every angry, ugly, unchurchable thought that has passed through our minds. And there is no point in pretending he doesn't by not talking to him about it. You know, that's like uh, the kid who comes out and they have like brownie batter smeared on their face. And, you know, and they're like acting real guilty. And you're like, babe, is there something you want to tell me? No, no. I think you'll feel better if you talk to me about it. No, no. I don't think so. Brownie batter smeared. Did you do something maybe that you feel like mama would be mad at you about? I won't be mad, but I'd, I'd rather we talked about it. No, I didn't do anything. You have brownie batter on your face. But it's the same thing, right? We're like, hey, God. Hey, good morning. It's Sunday morning. Hey, God, I love you. Everything's good. I just love you. I just appreciate you. I just celebrate you this morning. He's like, honey, it's okay. You have brownie batter on your face. You had a bad week, right? You're a little mad at me about some things. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about it, right? You want me to kill all your enemies, David. Let's talk about it, right? Because there's something about the vulnerability of just opening ourselves to God and being honest about the things he already knows that is healing, Deeply healing, because David's following this up with, search me, oh God, you know my heart. Find the wickedness. You know it's there, right? It's the opposite of Adam and Eve. They sin and they hide. He knows about it anyway. We might as well be honest. The next is the statement of trust. The statement of trust is the difference between lament and grumbling. And it's a very important differentiation. Numbers 14, 2 to 4. So, like, just kind of 
putting this in the perspective. So this is when the Israelites were like with Moses, and they were supposed to like go into the promised land, all this stuff happened, but they were like being hot fusses about it, and they were being really terrible, and this is what happened. So all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, or if this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children are going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? Now this is after the parting of the Red Sea, which I thought was a pretty dramatic show of love on the part of God. But they're like, if you could open that sea right back up, so we could scamper back because we don't trust you to handle our lives now. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So this is what God said. For 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins. And you will know what it's like to have me against you. So because they grumbled, they wandered for 40, the year, 40 years, none of them made it into the promised land because grumbling was no good. Now this brings us to an important point because what we were talking about earlier sounded like grumbling, right? God, how could this happen? How, how could this be true? How could, how could you let these things happen to me? How could, how could, how could? But here's the difference. The difference is this. Trust. So in Psalm 42, I have part of it there, but I'm going to read part of it too, because it's good. This is actually verse 9. Why have you forgotten me? This is David saying to God. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foe, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? That doesn't sound very different from the kind of nonsense that the Israelites were saying. But David follows it up with hope in God, for I will again praise him. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? That's the complaint, but the statement of hope. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. The difference between grumbling and lament is a statement of trust. It's saying, God, all of this hard stuff is true, but I will still trust you. And that's the difference between giving a 40-year sentence in the wilderness and deliverance from God, is trust. God, this is true. This is hard. This is awful. It feels like you've left me here. It feels like you don't care. Do you see the level of stress I'm under all the time? Do you see how this person is treating me? And yet, I trust you, God. I know that you have my good in mind. I know that you haven't left me. Even though my eyes can't see this truth, I know this truth. And that is what saves us. Next is asking for help. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And so, you know, we're, we're turning toward God in our hearts. We're telling God all the hard things that are going on. We're tell, reminding him that we trust him. We're reminding ourselves that we trust him. And then we're asking him for help. We're casting our cares on him. 
for help with whatever the difficult thing is. But it's interesting here, you know, it says, he will never let the righteous be shaken. And just, you know, in life, I sometimes feel like I'm being shaken. You know? Like, you will never let the righteous be shaken. I feel shaken. Grief makes me feel shaken. Hard stuff makes me feel shaken. Right? But I think this isn't like, just cast your cares on the Lord. Just fling them away. And then feel happy about it, right? Because earlier in the same chapter in 55, David says this. My heart is in anguish within me. This is the classic lament. This is the complaint. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had the wings of the dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Dude, same, David. Seriously. Right? Don't you sometimes be like, man, get me out of here, God. I would fly, I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. So it is out of this that he is saying he won't be shaken. And so what that means is that being shaken doesn't mean shaking. It doesn't mean, you know, not being afraid. It doesn't mean not having you know, everything in you want to run away. It means that God will put something in our hearts through the power of God that is so solid that we can return back to the truth of who he is and we will not be overcome by trouble. It means that when everything else in the world is going crazy, when our lives feel out of control, the solidity of the power and presence of God will keep our lives on track. We can cast our cares on him because he will not let us be overcome, even though, even though everything we see feels shaky. I've spent some time this week in lament. Um, I'm taking some classes. I've talked to you guys about that. And uh, one of them was talking about uh, end-of-life stuff, which is always fun, death and dying, and uh, hospice in particular. And so I had to write about um, an experience I've had with hospice, which is nice, you know, because my mom died, and I had a lot of experience with hospice. And I had to talk all about it, and um, that was terrible. And then I had to read this book about this guy's experience with hospice, which was, you know, terrible. And so I found myself sitting at my desk trying to do my assignment and like just tears are streaming out of my eyes. And I'm just like trying to just like suck it up. And then finally I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that thing where I pretend that everything's fine. You know how it is when we have a hurt or we have a wound? And we're like, no, this is fine. Never mind. It's fine. It's fine. You know, girls, if you're trying to preserve your mascara, you look up, right? Because you know that, like, the tears will drain into your, your tear ducts. It goes back in there, and it won't make your mascara run, right? And men, I know how you guys do. You like to pretend you don't, but you're, like, just kind of, like, casually just, oh, you know, like one of these, or you turn away for a second, right? All these things we do to self-protect when we're feeling in pain. But I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be the kind of person that just sucks it up all the time so my heart becomes so hard that I can't be the kind of open-hearted person God's called me to be. That's, that's, that's garbage. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that. 
So I, I stopped, I put all my stuff down, and I just sat at my desk, and I just wept. And I turned toward God, and I said, God, this is, this is how I feel. And I was like crying. I turned toward God, and I complained. And I was like, God, it is not fair that I'm not even 40 years old, and I'm an expert at hospice. It's not fair that all my friends get to go to lunch with their moms or the pumpkin patch with their moms, and I have to sit here writing papers about end of life because I've had so much death in my life that I'm really good at it. Like, God, it's not fair that there's nobody who, like, you know, comes to my house and fawns over my children and how cute they are and how wonderful they are. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair that all my friends get to hang out with their moms and take care of their moms when they're older, and I'll never get to take care of my mom when she's older. That's not fair, God. And yet, God, I trust you. I trust that you are going to use my pain for the betterment of people who are going to need that pain. I trust that my knowledge about death is going to be comfort to people who need it. I trust you that my mother was more magnificent in her 56 years than I could have asked for for 80. God, I trust you that you fawn over my children. God, I trust you that you are making our family just what you need it to be. God, I trust you that when my eyes can't see your goodness, your goodness remains the same. God, I trust you but I need your healing. My ask is for peace. I, I have to do this assignment. I have to do all this stuff, but I need your healing power in my heart so that I can be faithful to this and still be okay. And God, I thank you that when my eyes can't see your goodness, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I thank you that your character does not change because of cancer. I thank you that your character does not change because of my lonely heart. I thank you and I praise you for who you are, not because of who I thought you needed to be for me. And in that moment, at the end of the, my lament, my heart was different because I had not taped up the wound, but I had opened it vulnerably to God. And I had said, God, there is infection here. There is pain here. Like, and by letting the complaint flow out, by letting the pain flow out of my wound, God could pour trust in. He could pour healing in. But when we keep our wounds closed tight, when we keep our pain closed tight, there's... There's no space. We haven't created space for God to do the work. So lament isn't just, I'm going to complain because I need to complain because this is hard. It's, God, I have a hurt. God, something is wrong in this world. God, something is wrong in my heart. And I don't want to be the kind of close-hearted person that can't access my feelings because I've been fine forever. God, I want to be open-hearted. And the only way to do that is to lament. So the last part of lament is praise. I mean, we are not praising him because we feel like it. 
We're not praising him because our life is going so good that all we can do is just overflow with thankfulness. It's not the kind of praise that we get from our kids when we take them to Disneyland. It's the kind of thanks we get from our kids on the way back from the ER when they thank us for holding their hand while they get stitches. It's the thanks for him remaining himself even though we aren't ourselves in our pain. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Church, if we're not giving thanks for anything else, we're giving thanks because he has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who consider ourselves members of the household of faith, we always have that to come back to. God, you have redeemed me out of addiction, out of pain, out of loneliness, out of shame, out of hurt. And you have brought me into your family where you have promised to walk alongside every hard thing I will ever experience in my life for your goodness and because of your character. And I don't have to be good enough to earn it, and I don't have to be good enough to deserve it, but it is because of who you are that you have redeemed me. And if you aren't, you know, someone who is, considers yourself a member of the household of faith, if you feel like, you know, I, I kind of know about God, and I, but I haven't necessarily made that step, let me just encourage you this morning that the redemption of God is not some hokey, you know, you know whatever. It, it is saying, God, all of the things in my life do not serve me. But I see that you are the place for flourishing. That I feel like I am somehow designed to need you. And to need rescue from myself. And because he is ever inviting. Because he is ever seeking. He is ever loving. He is steadfast. He'll meet you. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you. Before you leave today... Tell God you want to be redeemed. Tell God you want to be his child. Tell God you want to live your life in his family. Uh, we're going to take some time for ministry and reflection. But if you have your bulletin, can you pull out um, the insert that we put in about lament? If you don't have one, um, ushers, can you pass out extra bulletins? So on this paper, we have a space for every part of the lament. And what I'm challenging you to do this morning, we're not going to collect them, so don't worry. We're not going to display them because that would be awkward because this is personal. But there's something about putting down on paper or saying out loud something that we feel in our hearts. So while Jeremy's playing and while we're singing, I'd like to challenge you to fill out the lament sheet. What is the place of your pain? What is the thing that you feel like you need to tell God? What's a wound that you need to open up and say, God, I'm mad. Or God, I'm hurting. I know, you know, we have church hurt. We have parent hurt. We have friend hurt. We have grief hurt. We have all the different kinds of hurt. But all of that 
is within the power of God. All of that is stuff he wants to walk alongside us. So as Jeremy and the band play, I want to encourage you to take some time and reflect uh, and to fill out the paper, and then, um, and then we'll do some ministry time. Give it all to you. I give. 
me stand together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of the hard places. You are the God of the unprettiness of our lives. We thank you that we can always turn to you. That we can always complain. That we can always pour out our pain to you. That we can trust you, Lord God. That we can ask you for your help. And that we can praise you even though our lives are hurting. Our hearts are hurting. Our world is hurting, God. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to lament well as a community. That you would help us to lament well as a people. That we wouldn't be a people who need to be fine. But that we could be a people who are honest before you. Who are open-hearted, who are vulnerable about the places we're hurting. So as we close out this service, um, I'm going to invite the ministry team to come. And see if the band can play a little bit more. Um, and we'll, we're going to close the service, but I, I want to encourage ministry this morning. As we're talking about the hard places, come be with someone who can pray with you and agree with you for the things that you need God to do, for the places that are hurting too much for you to navigate by yourself for healing, for wholeness. So I'm going to give you a blessing and you can come and receive prayer. But if not, then we're going to close the service. Christ the King, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon your whole selves. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may you feel his good pleasure upon you. May he give you his peace. In Jesus' name.